good uh, good afternoon everyone uh we've we're bringing you a bit of a surprise uh edition of the political tipster as we, we've got the news flowing in this morning that uh, boris johnson will be facing a vote of uh, no confidence this uh late evening got a special guest with us today um he, he does other shows as well he's, he's had his own podcast i believe uh you recorded the final episode recently? Um, not yet. No, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm on ninety-three at the moment, and at a hundred, it's going to be the last one. Well, you, you'll recognise that voice as that of uh, SD Wicket, our uh, digital editor of Bornbrook Magazine, who uh, very kindly edits uh, my episodes as well, as long as uh, along with everybody else's. So, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julian. I've um, yeah, I've been running the show from Bornbrook for almost two years now. Uh, I've this is my first time being a guest on one, so we'll we'll see if I have anything worth saying. Um. <laughs> uh, so we we just had the Jubilee weekend. Did you have a nice uh, celebration? Yeah, it was very nice. Um, it was nice. I, I was saying this on the weekend review last week. It, it was nice to walk around my town and see uh, Union flags everywhere. Um, you know, because uh, it's it's quite a rare occurrence. I mean, normally I only really see them on the like the Royal Legion pub. It's like near my house. Um, Which uh, region are you from? Uh, Essex. Okay. Like uh, sort of the yeah the, the sort of Thames Estuary North Sea Coast area. Um, mm. And I won't I won't dock myself any further than that by saying which town I'm from. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was nice to, it was nice to sort of to, to walk around and see a sort of you know public spirit that um, only really comes around on jubilee years um mm. so also this, this is the first so this is my third jubilee um and the first i, I wasn't up in london for it because i was busy at home but um yeah it was nice to watch the pageants watched sort of all stuff on tv yeah it's lovely and uh what, one thing i thought was probably my favorite part about the jubilee is that it was really for me uh the silent majority found its voice uh as you said it is very rare to see so many union flags and uh, so many people out in full force being patriotic. You, mm. you had a few people who tried to be the the wet towel, but honestly, the there were not there weren't very many. In, in... Yeah, it's because I think it's such a natural instinct, um, but far more so than sort of the the oikophobia that sort of defines the sort of um, sort of the, the urban intellectual class um it's something that you know it, it comes naturally and and um it, its lack is almost a, a, a sort of born from suppression rather than like a natural inclination to be ashamed of where you come from um because you know this doesn't require you to really sort of defend your ground which which is what the urban class are very good at making people do to the point where they slip up and you know then, then can be sort of picked apart um mm -hmm. it's you know it, it's, it's just it's just guttural you know um but yeah it's it's been it's been nice to see um and uh it's it's something that you know for all my critiques of, of the Windsor dynasty itself rather than the monarchy as an institution mm. um it has been responsible for pretty much the only cases of like acceptable flag waving in the last yeah. 10 or so years, you know, like that may be the proms, although that, that's slipping away and maybe when England do okay in a tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think as well, it, it's proven that really the, the nation state is still the greatest unifying structure, which yeah. is able to transcend race, religion, 
uh, ethnicity. And I think what a lot of the progressives have got wrong is that uh, they, they believe that by destroying the nation state or deconstructing the nation state that we'd create a more sort of globalist humanist identity but even as our former prime minister Theresa may said if, if you represent everyone you represent no one yeah and we've actually seen a, a regression to you know more atomized society into groups of religion race uh, even regional uh, exceptionalism as well and, and i thought that was quite a a good image of really how and a reminder that the nation state really is still the, the greatest unifying structure we have yeah i mean again you know i think uh, an affinity with one's home is probably the most natural instinct there mm. is as far as like identifying goes you know um obviously that's under threat from sort of like uh sexual identity and like religious and racial identities that have become so sort of in vogue in the last couple of years um but yeah for the average person you know and we still live in a in a in a nation that for the most part isn't you know isn't bound to those identities um and so yeah i mean it's it's just natural you know it's it's the most natural identity one can form um everything else is sort of based on you know um ideology and i think Another great uh, reminder, actually, was uh, so we, we had all these millions of people cheering and celebrating the Queen. But uh, for the, I believe it was on Friday, the mass, when our prime minister, our elected prime minister arrived, he was uh, received mixed reception of cheers and boos. So uh, we, we I, was, I, was, I was more surprised by the cheers, to, to be honest. Yeah. Um I very rarely will I meet someone who actually, you know, likes the prime minister. Um it's uh, it's, it's almost like it's almost like a poison chalice, isn't it? Like being a prime minister well, or, a, or a president. Um there's a what's in it? Uh there's a great book called The Grimestones Prime Ministers which goes through every prime minister we've ever had. There's a lovely introduction which where he says that uh, the prime minister's role is the nation's scapegoat. So everything that ever goes wrong uh, for the nation, for the government, whatever, it all has to be pinpointed to the mm. prime minister, uh, yeah. which is why I like it that we have a, a monarchy and a political representative as our, our head of state. So. Mm. Yeah, you, you, have, you have one to draw the ire of the nation and one to kind of like bring it together again. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. As I was saying, it's a poison chalice. No, I'm sure it takes years off your life. You know, we've seen those pictures of you know, uh, like presidents like before and after their terms, and mm. like it's been eight years, but they've aged twenty years. You know, it's, as as Disraeli said, it's uh, climbing the greasy pole. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very greasy pole. Yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, our prime minister, he's facing this no confidence vote today. So. How, so if you think about it, it it's 2019 or going into 2020, uh, Boris Johnson has just won the biggest majority in a while. We've had so many dreadlock, um, dreadlocks, uh, deadlocks in Parliament and he's broken that. He's created a new coalition under his, his Brexit banner. It looks as if he he was going to be unstoppable and two years later 
he's crushed and burned. What what's happened? It's 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 a really it's a really interesting thing to look at, isn't it? I, I think it's it's a it's a sort of consequence of the Tory Party um, styling itself as the the the, the continuity of, of Blairism, right? Which is this sort of you know um, this race to the middle um, sort of centrist liberalism, you know. Um, when Johnson won that, you know, massive landslide victory in the election, 2019, you know, banished Jeremy Corbyn to the nether zone, you know, um, he, it, it seemed like, you know, he'd sort of um, reestablished this, you know, sort of one, one nation coalition between, you know, sort of the, you know, sort of what you see is like the landed gentry and, and, and the urban um, working man, um, both of whom sort of align when it comes to, uh, like a patriotic fervor um and this was the sort of if you've ever read benjamin disraeli's novels this is the coalition which he talks about and mm. on the opposite side you've got the stuffy metropolitan middle class but he saw this romantic patriotic uh, yeah. coalition between the sort of old aristocrats and the and the working class it's like the, it's like those bell curve memes we've got you know like the, the one on the, yeah. <laughs> the one on either side agreeing and the one in the middle the sort of soy jack face disagreeing <laughs> right so um yeah no he he seemingly established that coalition which you know i think oh, like obviously it's proven that it was you know electoral dynamite you know and it, it won him you know a massive landslide but like what that did i think the, the, the problem with his 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 tenure is that you know is the gulf between what he could have done and what he did you know he basically had a public mandate to completely ignore the, the progressive left, you know, to mm, completely yeah. just just hold them in utter contempt, um, pick apart their legacy of the last twenty years, um, and you know, uh, sort of allow this country to kind of you know, flourish um, outside of the European Union, which you know coincided with with the start of his um, his you know his majority government. Um, but again, what he did, which is what you know David Cameron did, is what Theresa May did, is um, appease the liberal left at the expense of those mm. who actually put their faith in him. You know, um, we're looking at you know the is it the the Wakefield um, by election. election yeah. it's, it's it's like from from polling, it's looking like it's going to be a bloodbath. You know, and um, the Tories losing you know an unholy amount of seats um, because he again he had a mandate from, from the people. You know, he the option was either him or a leftist, right? Um, and I, I don't really share the, the, the mainstream right sort of opinion on Corbyn, where he's just this sort of villainous mustache twirling communist. You know? <laughs> so, I, I do, I do respect that he was a genuine outsider, um, to the political class. Um, well, uh, for me, the problem with Jeremy Corbyn is he, he betrayed a lot of his, his principles. So he arrived, he, he had electoral success in 2017 on a rather left-wing populist platform and people tend to forget which i always try and remind them about so he he had this scheme it was build it in britain hmm. and it's probably the the first time in in quite a long time where we've seen someone who's actually sort of favoring economic nationalism yeah and uh, and, and and he was he was he was platforming the sort of the lexit position in, in like the 1970s yeah. right so you had this really surreal moment in the uh 2017 campaign where you had um theresa may who backed remain arguing for leave 
and Corbyn, yeah. who backed, who who probably, I, I think he secretly backed Leave, uh, publicly backing Remain. It was just it's this bizarre thing. But back onto onto Johnson, um, he had this mandate to essentially drive a a a, a, you know, a bulldozer through the progressive edifice. But instead, he appeased it at every possible turn. Um, so he he attempted to appease people who not only despise him um will never vote for him but by chasing them their votes and echoing their um their utterances like for example when he um was it uh was it cop was it no what was it was it the g8 when he said we should build back better and more feminine or something something yeah some, some words to that effect. Says, uh, should build back uh feminist and um like gender neutral or something like that gender neutral so, like how about just- that yeah, just you know, just 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 progressive word salads, um, which which was not his electoral coalition. So he, you know, he turned that. But why? He... Why do you think that is? Why do you think he's constantly tried to appease the the liberal left? What is? I think I, the benefit. I, I think of... I think he's a liberal. Mm. I think I think he, he's a liberal who did the 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 old Tory trick of you know, pay lip service to. A more reactionary worldview when, when it's election time, you know. And and to my eternal shame, I was I was seduced by it in the in December of twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I you know I I I put my put my faith in that man, and you know, and at every possible opportunity, he sort of slapped me in the face with, with my own <laughs> ballots, you know. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big part of the problem. I mean, obviously we're we're ignoring the elephant in the room, which is Partygate. Um, which I think I think is the, the the big thing, but I mean, as far as you know, social policy goes, um, he again he he had a mandate to smash through the the, the progressive edifice, and he instead you know uh, reinforced it. Um, so that played a big role in losing his loyalists, um, or at least people who who he you know who had lent their lent their votes to him, i.e. the Red Wall. Um, and then, you know, throughout COVID, he, I mean, granted he, he stepped back from the brink when it came to like vaccine passports and that sort of thing, but he was still, you know, um, he, he was very unquestioning of the, of the general narrative. And then now, uh, with Partygate, I think he's sort of, um, not only is he unpopular, I think he's actively hated by large sections of the population, including Wakefield, who, Look like they're now going to return a a, a Labour um, MP. Mm-hmm. But do you think that uh, he has any excuses at all? So every time someone arrives in power, we we hear the usual things like uh, "I wanted to do more, but we we were held back." You know, you've got a lot of it. People forget now, so that the Supreme Court in the UK, for example, was created in two thousand and seven. And there's a lot of decisions which are being overruled. Uh, so, for example, when he prorogued Parliament in order to try and get Brexit finally through, uh, he was legally opposed and forced to reopen it by the Supreme Court. And we've seen recently with, is it David Bell? Uh, the, the, the young person who detransitioned having uh oh uh yes uh kira bell kira sorry david bell was the whistleblower kira bell was the the person Hmm. and Hmm. um sadly the we saw that the uk supreme court again has now 
uh, said that uh, children are able to consent to puberty blockers. So yep. does Johnson have any excuses for not being able to do what he can? Is, is the UK system in general built to oppose any sort of conservatism or oh, here's the thing though right so th that goes back to the the size of the majority right hmm. if he if he could just keep the whip in line you know he he could pass anything through through parliament you know i mean how many mps did the tories have in that after that election it was an 80 majority right you know that that wins you any vote in the house if you can keep the whip together and bear in mind you know he he removed the whip from most of the Brexit rebels in the party, like you know, um, yeah. you know, um, all, all the sort of the, the 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 remain voices in the party. There was sort of a, I, I remember right after he came in um, from the uh, the party election, the yeah, the 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 the, the, the night of a thousand knives or something like that. Where basically just he just like mm -hmm. purged the party of remainers, right? Uh, purged the whip of remainers, um, leading into the election. He again, he had the mandate to do. To pass whatever he wanted because he had that massive majority if he could just keep the whip in line so he could have passed you know he could have um, repealed the communications act which you know um which which essentially uh criminalizes offense or he could have you know repealed the, equality the act. Equality, which which essentially ratifies in law the sort of you know the the, the diversity is our strength mantra hate crime yeah right exactly um there's so much he could have done um, I mean, COVID aside, because they were still passing laws during COVID, um, and the laws that, they, that that he did pass were, you know, borderline tyrannical. Um, online safety, the policing and crimes bill, um, you know, which, which you know outlawed protest, or um, essentially um, there was a part in the online safety bill which um, basically has like approved news vendors, right? Which yeah, yeah. which again which ratifies by law the monopoly of the mainstream media so um and it gives them a free pass to basically get away with you know quote unquote misinformation so bornbrook could be censored for something that the telegraph would say with impunity right i <laughs> like we've been censored for saying you know like vaccines don't prevent don't prevent um the spread of covid right mm. um which you know um whether it's true or not is up for debate but i mean it's not it's not so egregious that it has to be censored for the sake of public safety. Whereas, you know, th thanks to this bill, like a mainstream paper could say that with impunity. Um, anyway, um, I'm getting, getting off track here, but um, again, you know, the Supreme Court, he, he, he could have, you know, repealed that through the common because he had that massive majority. If he, mm. he could keep the whip in line, he, again, could have smashed through the edifice. Um, so I, I think a big part of why he's now facing this... Um, this vote of confidence is because he's done nothing to convince people who voted for him in 2019 that he has that back still, you know, that he has, has that back, back on immigration. I mean, if you look at immigration, um, if you factor in you know, Hong Kong, 1 million. yeah, Hong Kong visas, um, uh, Ukraine visas, um, the, uh, the, the recent move to allow uh, skilled graduates from all over the world to, to, to come to UK easier. Um, plus the, you know, the, complete lack of action on the uh, China crossings. You're looking at about a million people a year, which is so completely unsustainable that it's, it, it's almost suicidal. Um, so again, you know, you have, you have the leader of the Conservative Party who has no interest in any, anything resembling Conservative policy, 
He's, you know, he's in an attempt to appease people who will never vote Tory. He's made people who vote Tory maybe once in their life not want to again. Mm. Definitely. Uh, but do you think as well, the problem with immigration as well is that we never clear had a clear sort of definition of what uh, Brexit is. Uh, for example, you, I, th- I think most people who voted uh, for Brexit will have wanted a, a reduction in immigration. Uh, but the, the sort of conservative party idea of Brexit was, well, as, as we see in global Britain, as in opening up to the rest of the world, yeah. And uh, they they probably argue that so oh, well we we have more skilled workers now and we're trying to reduce the the number of non skilled workers entering into the country that that's what you voted for. Um, but, but also you have you know millions of young people in this country who are lost because the sort of the intergenerational careers and industry that once defined their town mm-hmm. economically aren't there anymore. Um, so they're lost. You know these people who you know who's their their dad worked in the steelworks, their granddad worked in steelworks, and so on and so on and so on. They're now working in Tesco. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, but I mean, you know, um, we talk about high skilled labour, like as if like that's a, a new concept in the UK. You know, um, we like through the industrial revolution, we essentially invented that line of work, um, mm-hmm. and now we need to import it. Like that that doesn't <laughs> make sense to me. And and on the immigration question, like l- let me ask you a question. Um, if you were like a foreign warlord and you were planning an invasion of the UK, what's the first thing you'd factor in in your plans? If I'm invading the UK? Yeah. Um, like geographically, what's the first thing you'd factor in? Whether there are mercenaries of my culture already in the country. <laughs> <laughs> what I meant to say is that we're an, we're an island, right? Um, it's an island, you know. It, the, the 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 border is very easy to secure because you know it, it's it's not it's not part of a grander continent. You can't sort of slip in through like a mountain pass. You know, you you have to get there by sea, right? So the the um, the fluidity of of the southern border, um, but via the English Channel is. It's 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 that way because of a complete lack of political will to stop it. Mm. You know, like if you were going to if you were going to send an armada to conquer Britain, the first thing you factor in is that it's an island. You know, again. So uh, what I'm saying with, with all this is that you know you have a again you have someone who is you know representing the the the, the party of you know the 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 oak tree right the the um. You know, the, the the party of Disraeli, the party of Churchill, um, and there's just no no political will to do anything to counteract the rampant anti-conservative morality that that, that defines life in the West at the moment. Um, because I, you know, because the guy's a liberal, I, I I think he's fairly open about that. I think further, he's a liberal universalist, yeah. uh, which has been a problem for is is the continuing continuation of, of Blair, which was the continuation of, of Gladstone in mm. a sense of this uh, liberal universalist outlook whereby one thing I've always loved about Great Britain is our, is our pragmatism uh, and that's ingrained in our, in our common law. Uh, we don't, unlike, unlike the French, for example, we, we don't 
just chase uh, ambiguous universalist ideas. Mm. Um, and, and Disraeli actually, very good quote, I'll just read it. Uh, when he was talking about um, changing the Conservative Party, he says, uh, in a progressive country, change is constant. The great question is not whether you should resist change, which is inevitable, whether that change should be carried out in a inevitable uh, indifference to the manners, the customs, the laws, and the traditions of the people, where it should be carried out in deference to abstract principles and arbitrary and general doctrines. The one is a national system, the other is to give it an epithet, a noble epithet, which it may perhaps deserve <clears throat> a philosophic system. Now, my lords and gentlemen, I have always considered that the Tory party was the National Party of England. It is formed of all classes, from the highest to the, the most homely, and it upholds a series of institutions that are in theory and ought to be in practice an embodiment of national requirements and the security of the national rights. Hmm. So essentially... There is, sorry, there, there, is, there is a stark difference between change and progress, right? Pro hmm. progress is just a natural evolution you know we, we naturally evolve from a feudal society into an industrial society into a post-industrial society right whereas change is just is more akin to revolution rather than evolution right um hmm. it's it's sort of it's 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 progress at a um a, an unsustainable pace and um i think what separates us from a place like france or a place like america is again we we don't really um give in to abstract ideals you know we, mm. we, we were very well we didn't we, we didn't that, that, yeah <laughs> that, exactly and, and that's the point and that's one thing that um i think is the difference between contemporary britain and britain of you know years gone past where in the past britain was very stubborn to um almost like non-native ideals right so there's a reason why communism and fascism never took hold in the uk mm. because you know they're they're alien to the british mind but what's happened uh, probably since the 60s is like a, an incremental sort of like almost like a, a cultural, almost like we've been culturally colonized by uh, American abstract ideals. Mm -hmm. And European. Point, yeah, exactly. To, to the point now where uh, things like race politics in the UK, the, the, the rhetoric around it is so alien to this country. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, it's remarkably alien. Um, and it's... Again, it's something that, you know, the last 10, 15, 20 PMs have done, you know, have either done nothing to stop or they've pushed it further in the case of Blair. Um, but again, it doesn't need to be this way. You know, go, going back to the, going back once again to the uh, issue of the majority, um, like given, given the fact that Johnson, as long as he kept the whip in line, could have passed any policy under the sun, which he, he, he did for the most part. There were bad policies, but he did. Um, you know, he he could have you know reinvigorated the country. All he needed was the will to do it, and he didn't have that will. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe like that's my reasons for you know not being particularly happy, like having you know um, buyer's remorse with my vote for Johnson. But I mean, I'm not sure if that's where the party sits. Um, I think to them it's more you know party gate is a scandal that isn't going away. You know, every week more scandals are uncovered, and it's you know it's 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 bad political it's bad political currency.
something quite unique about Johnson is that uh, in Britain we've always had a sort of feeling of the the dignity of office, and that that's been made clear with I think four of our last six prime ministers haven't been voted out; they've resigned themselves, uh, whether it be uh, due to a scandal, whether it be due to uh, not being able to hold the office with the highest dignity. Um, and uh, Johnson seems to be the, the first really to be breaking away from this uh, for, for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, but also we, we, we have, I mean, socially, culturally, politically, we have a sort of a, a moral tradition of fair play, right? Um, mm. Like, for, for example, it's sort of, it's the done thing is that if you become prime minister because of like an internal party votes, you call an election sort of as soon as you really can, you know, that's sort of like the done thing. It's like sort of, it's, it's sort of good manners, you know, <laughs> sort of like let the whole nation, not just card carrying members of, the, of, your, of your party uh, decide who, who, who's in office. Um, and, that, and that should be even compared to uh, Sir Robert Walpole, who was known as probably the most corrupt uh, prime minister of our time when he lost his no confident vote he resigned so uh, how can johnson continue to govern hmm. when even uh, he's been shown up by the likes of the robert walpole i mean even 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 thatcher resigned for similar reasons right mm -hmm. yeah i mean she, she 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 didn't she didn't lose the no confidence vote but she it was a majority in favor of no confidence it, was, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't the two-thirds required but i mean um she still said okay you know um my time has come it's time to to, to go um and again i i think you have someone who is i think with johnson you can kind of tell that this has been his lifelong dream right you know, everything from the Bullingdon Club to um, Mayor of London to, which I, actually, I believe was actually, um, was sort of a, a slight against him. It was Cameron sort of kicking him downstairs for a bit um, mm -mm. Uh, to, you know, his various um, cabinet posts and out to this. I mean, I think this has been, you know, he's he's, he's one of those kids who was like, you know, one day I'm going to be prime minister of this country. And now he's got it. He's completely, you know, uh, done a dookie in the bed with it. And um, he sort of, he, he almost... For his, for his ego, so he can't admit that it's over. Well, David Cameron once called him a greased-up piglet because uh, he seems to be able to squeeze his way out of every tight situation. Yeah, I mean, the the the, the veil comments, I mean, in this day and age, should, should have been the end of him, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I, I don't think there's anything particularly uh, scandalous about it, apart from it just being in poor taste. But, I mean, like, in this day and age, that should have been, in the age of cancer culture, that should have been the end of him. Well, I, I've, I thought the end of him should have been when he was uh, secretly marrying in a Catholic church and he advised uh, Her Majesty on appointments uh, yeah. to the Church of England. We should, we should have used Wellington's uh, law from the 19th century to, to get rid of him now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think that's kind of what the party's seeing now, which is, again, I don't, I don't think the party's approach to this is rooted in you know morality or him you know not being true to the conservative ethos i think it's just you know it's just political right it's just business well interestingly I've, i do believe the majority of the 54 mps who sent their letters in they were brexit voting and but most of them are i believe the mps who won seats uh, in the red war so they are probably very worried for their job first and foremost if they continue 
to yeah. support him. So, um, yeah, sa- save me the crocodile tears, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a pretty pretty rotten intake anyway. Um, I mean, it was, it was it, uh, Sir Graham Brady who initiated proceedings. Yeah, he's the head of the 1922 committee. Mm. Yeah, I mean... Um, yeah, I mean, so so the, the vote's uh, tonight, isn't it? Yeah, I, I believe the result will be announced around 8pm. Okay. But yeah. Um, what, what's your prediction? For the... I think I think he'll survive it by the skin of his teeth, but it'll be sort of in that in a sort of flash territory where, you know, um, it would be the honourable thing to take it on the chin and go. Um, but I mean, given everything we, we discussed, that he's, you know, he's a, he's a political animal, um, I think he'll manage to uh, squirm his way out of this one as well. If we, if we look back at the last few no confidence votes, so uh, of course, Jeremy Corbyn faced one, uh, lost pretty dramatically, 172 to 40, but he refused to resign and he actually mm-hmm. called a leadership election and won it. Mm-hmm. Could you see Johnson doing something similar? You know, he's, he, I think, when he I was think elected. The... Yes and no. I think he might, might might try to sort of use the party to sort of get his way out of it. But the architecture of the Labour Party and Tory Party are very different. Mm. The Labour Party is democratised, you know, um, and a big part of Corbyn's initial ascent was um, momentum flooding the party NEC with, um, with with activists, you know, to the point where even now there's a lot of um, tension between uh, sort of the centrist wing of Starmer and 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 the the left wing of the, of the party, yeah. uh, because you know those people are still in those posts in the NEC. The I think the, the reason that won't work for the Tory party is the same reason why I don't think any sort of like entryism would work as well because the party isn't democratized, right? Mm. You couldn't just flood the NEC with you know young activists who are able to sort of dictate terms as far as you know which direction the party goes politically. Um, and this is my one worry about if Johnson goes, is that essentially it, it's not really down to ordinary voters to choose who the next leader of the Tory party is. It's going to be the, the Conservative parliamentary. Oh, the, 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 uh, the, the devil you know, right? I mean, um, I mean who, who, who could come in that would be an improvement? Well, I've, I've seen that the favourites are Liz Truss and Jeremy Hunt. Oh, yeah, I mean, and, I, and I weep. <laughs> yeah, Liz Truss, the former Liberal Democrat, who, who Republican, yeah, Republican, who who voted Remain, um, and and uh, and Hunt, who you know is bar the Lib Dem thing, is basically of the same ilk. You know, he's he's mm. of that. You know, he's of the Cameronite wing of the party, which again is is uh, indistinguishable from from New Labour. Um, I mean, there are. I think there are positive voices within the party, but I mean, if you look at someone like Reese Mark, for instance, right, when he was on the fringes, you know, he was sort of, he was seen as being, you know, um, the 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 ultra conservative wing of the party, right? He was sort of, you know, pro life, Catholic, traditionalist, mm. you know, sort of an old fogey. Um, <laughs> yet the nearer he's gotten to the the party's nuclear, yeah. the more liberal he's become, <laughs> to the point where now, like his. You know his his bravest stand, which was being pro-life publicly in Parliament, has you know has subsided, and he's done nothing to stop what are essentially the most liberal abortion laws probably in the continent. 
Well, it's uh, 24 weeks, I think. Normally in Europe, it's about 12 weeks. So okay, fair enough. fair enough. But, but I mean, it's still, you know, there's almost, there's virtually no momentum behind any sort of pro-life movement in the UK. No, no. You know, it, it is like in the US where you actually do have like a, 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 a genuinely reactionary stream of politics that is politically viable. Mm-hmm. No, um, but again, so if if one of the if one of the sort of more desirable people who are on the backbenches do come forward, I mean, one, I, I don't think that they would get through any sort of like party election because you know you need you need friends in high places to get through it. Um, and also, if they do get uh, quite far, then they tend to be uh, sort of paid off in a sense with a nice position and promised a nice position in the cabinet if they support the yeah um i can't think of any examples off my head but normally yeah, no, it, a nice it's little, uh... instinctively you go yeah i can see that no because again mm-hmm. you know um the the conservative party at this point has been reduced to merely the continuity party you know whose sole purpose is to survive is to you know mm-hmm. get through the next election stay in power stay in power stay in power and they're very good at that and i think part of the reason why is because they consistently put forward the the special interests candidate you know <laughs> um like if you look at you know the 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 just the sheer corruption on people like osborne and cameron um their business ties you know they're linked no, to I... like the panama papers and, and, so, and so forth um it's it, it the tory party is you know is a menagerie of political animals um and it survives you know it's like a, a cockroach you know um <laughs> you know, it, it'll survive the apocalypse and even if johnson goes bear in mind johnson in effect has been no different from, from may from cameron from brown from blair um whoever comes next will be the same if not worse and so yeah i mean the, the devil you know right I mean, well, my, I remember during the Tory party conference, probably the, the best conference there was, was, uh, was the unheard and uh, they invited Peter Hitchens, uh, to debate, like, uh, will the Tory party survive? And, uh, there's a great quote where he says, uh, basically Boris Johnson's administration is, is a, are doing exactly the same as, uh, Peter Mandelson and Alistair Campbell. It's just that whilst Alistair Campbell and Peter Mandelson knew exactly what they were doing, uh, Johnson and Al are just too thick to realise uh, that what they're doing exactly the same. And yeah. he said the only reason why they continue to win is because uh, the Conservative Party is still the, the greatest organisation to get the sons of gentlemen in, into, pow- into Parliament. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so going back to the vote now, are there any big names who are already declaring themselves to be against the prime minister? Yeah, I've seen a few. Uh, obviously, none of them really in, in the sort of cabinet inner circles. So there's no, there's no Patel, mm. or Javid, or Sunak, or Trusses in there. But I mean, Jeremy Hunt, who obviously um, was Johnson's main opposition in the in the party election um, three years ago um he's he's put his name in the he's, he's put his hand in the ring uh david davis is in there um steve baker is in there um i mean it is qu- quite a few are of the 2019 intake um but of the list those are the three that really jump out to me uh and um steve bacon 
David Davis. Hmm. It's interesting because you have a little mixture there. So you, you have Hunt and uh, what's his name? Uh, Tobias uh, Elwood. Elwood. Yeah. Uh, those two are quite well. Uh, Elwood recently said he was in favour of returning to the single market. Then on yep. the other side, Baker and David Davis are, are true Brexiteers. Also, also, I mean, Elwood's been on the on the war path with Russia for the last three months. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, that guy wants total war. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a mixed bag. I mean, I think Jeremy well, that, Hunt. That will be the the next measuring stick about who will go far is how uh, pro-war they've been. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the more pro-war, the further you'll get in this leadership contest, it, it, it appears. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's how it works in America, and we're basically just an American enclave at this point. So, I mean, makes sense, right? And what do you think will be some of the consequences of this? No, let, let's say, right, if we were to predict, I think the two of us can agree that it's going to be Johnson just about wins, but he's pretty done in for. They'll, yeah, they'll, there'll be renewed pressure for him to resign um, from Parliament and the public, I think. I think he'll survive the vote. Um, as far as elect, elect, like the next election goes, I mean, I do think Wakefield will be a big loss for, for them. Um, this is this is why I'm slightly confused. I, I feel as if they've called this vote slightly too early because... Hmm. He's about to be destroyed in two by-elections. According to the polls, it's going to be a pretty heavy loss. So it seems a little bit early for me. Um, So do do you think we're going to have a similar situation with Theresa May, whereby she just about won the Tory uh, vote vote to no confidence, and then Labour tabled one, and actually all the Tories who voted against her scurried back and supported her to to keep her in power. Could could we see something? I mean, possibly. I mean, also a big factor in uh, May's ousting was also the European elections, um, mm. which were, you know, again, it was it, it took an electoral bloodbath for her to sort of, you know, get the memo. Um, and it, it's a weird time because it's sandwiched in between the local elections, which which didn't go too well for the Tory party, and the Wakefield by-election, which is, as, as I was saying, is probably going to be a bloodbath again um yeah it's it's i i i can't really predict how it's going to go electorally because the next general is still some way away or is it how is it well that's the thing so i mean as i was saying earlier there's sort of like um uh a, a sort of a law of fair play that you call an election if you if you win a party vote rather than a national vote um it all depends on, on on what Johnson does next. I mean, I think either way, it's kind of I think it's generally swinging back towards Labour a little bit. I mean, they've closed the gap in the polls significantly. They were briefly ahead in the polls. I think they they might even still be. Oh yeah, uh, the, uh, they're about uh, eight points ahead <laughs> in most polls now. Um, I, I'd say for about a month or two now, they've been solidly ahead. Um, but one one thing I will point out. So local elections are always hard to gauge. We can't really compare local and national always. One thing that I'd be very worried about if I were Labour is that of all the Tory seat losses, uh, Labour gained just 17% of those and 83% went to independents or other parties. 
So that's telling me that Keir Starmer and the Labour Party in general just still isn't quite uh, encouraging people to come out and vote. And I remember when we did, um, uh, I think it was a current predicament podcast, maybe over a year ago, we were predicting what would happen. And I think we, we all agreed that it would just lead to more abstention and people would not come out to vote and it, it, it appears for the moment that that is the case so can you can you really see Keir Starmer being our prime minister anytime soon no I think Keir Starmer has the same problem that Ed Miliband had where he's just so vocally uncommanding you know he um he just seems incapable of commanding respect and he's just sort of too nasally you know uh, I think that's, that's a big thing. I mean, you know, political is, politics is, is a you know is a visual art. You know, optics play a big role in politics. Mm. You know, Ed Miliband got you know, dragged, dragged through the mud for his voice and his awkward mannerisms. <laughs> I think I think Starm will probably be the same. Um, I think there are things that he won't be able to live down as well, like you know the the, the knee taking thing as well. Um, yeah, I, I I really don't. Tell, I, I think if there is an election soon, it'll probably be a hung parliament, right? Like no no majority. Well, this is the interesting thing because for me, Labour's route back into power, you first of all, you need to reclaim the, the red wall. And according to the local results, it's a mixed bag. So uh, there were good results in Bolton, Hartlepool, Berry, and Wakefield. But in other places like Grimsby, Nuneaton, Dudley, Tories are, are holding firm and they actually gained Newcastle as well. Um, so firstly, that needs to be solidified by Labour and then they need to finally be making gains in Scotland again, which I just I can't see I, I just I can't see the SP mm. falling anytime soon. No, I mean again, that's it, isn't it? I mean their Rubex power is in either in Scotland or in the Red Wall. Um the Red Wall seems more viable, but also not because the Red Red Wall is generally more conservative than than the Southeast. Um, as insofar as you know, sort of um, oikophilia, Brexit, um, sort of aversion to progressivism as a whole, um, somewhere, David Goodhart, yeah, exactly. Whereas, um, Labour sort of new heartlands and kind of urban areas and sort of the southeastern sort of blob is is very quite transient. Um, but even there, that's more liberal democrat territory to, to be taking the Tories yeah which is an interesting point because I think I do stand by the next election being a hung parliament and then it'll sort of be mm. a race to form a coalition I think that favors Labour because um there are more parties to the left than there are to the right as far as you know par- parties that are sort of household names um it's been talked before of you know a sort of a progressive coalition right between like mm. Labour, Lib Dems and Greens and well so I agree in a sense but I think uh so the Lib Dems were more suited to Cameronite sort of conservatives. The problem is that, well, sort of what Johnson is trying to portray himself as the the, the Liberal Democrats at the other end of the political spectrum, really. So I think the if I were to really predict what would happen, it would probably hung Parliament, as you said, and the Lib Dems would probably ask in for a referendum on proportional representation in order to have a coalition with Labour or the SNP and a second Scottish 
run them and I think Labour would probably rather choose the proportional representation Lib Dem option but uh, yeah far away still yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean again I, we're talking about like you know the the, the concept of the possibility of there being meaningful change in British politics but I mean first past the post is kind of like a massive massive barrier to, to that you know I mean um if you look at you know the the last really great threat to the Tories from the right was UKIP right who gained like like several million votes but one seat yeah it's 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 not it's um I sort of take the Hitchens approach where I I do believe that uh, theoretically the best route forward is just the utter banishment of the major major parties and sort of something new replacing them but again it seems like it seems more and more that first past the post is kind of like um sort of a, a fail safe almost for uh a political collapse event for the for the main parties you know there's there's almost um because if if a new party was to come in it would have to pretty much win over every man woman and child in the country to really sort of make a difference you know and uh, also, you forget that the the mainstream political parties rely heavily on donations, whether it be the for Labour, it's the unions for uh, for, for the Tories, it's the gentlemen. So mm. you know, you ha- you always have to please the donors. That's mm. the problem. So you can create an exciting new political party, but if you want to go somewhere, you have to rely on the donors. And in order to satisfy the donors, you you have to yeah. It's 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 a it's it's a, it's a vicious cycle of you no know, not getting anywhere because again it, i i do think given the political architecture of the uk um that sort of change is almost impossible you you can't get to that place without making a sort of faustian pact um which you know robs your movement of any of its authenticity and a sort of desire to make change because you know you're now reliant financially on people who don't want change mm-hmm. um you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a really it's the toughest position to be in, and it's kind of it's almost like we're turning up to the battlefield after the battle's over. You know, um, <laughs> you know, to, to to give a sort of you know to give a an example from from Shakespeare, it's, it's like um, you know um, the uh, the the establishment is you know sieging Harfleur, and we're just getting a tennis ball in the mail. You know, it's we're you know several chapters behind on on, on, the, yeah. on this front and and yeah I, I mean i'm not optimistic about um meaningful change in the british political landscape i think if anything wayne dixon's victory in 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 leeds kind of shows that almost the the best solution to sort of national level malaise is sort of local politics yeah um this is something i've been thinking for a while now yeah i mean it's, it's same same in america too. same in, in uh America too. I mean, America is, you know, it's it's um it's ruled with an iron fist at the national level by the Democrat Party. But you have someone like DeSantis in Florida who's been very effective in yeah. um sort of dismantling the apparatus on, on a local level to the point where now Florida is this sort of like, you know, uh conservative Shangri-La where, you know, people people can sort of flee the blue and go there and sort of under, and know that, you know, generally speaking their kids won't be exposed to what kids in California are exposed mm. to. Um, you know, there's just it, there's just more conservative morality in in the laws over there, um, and that's kind of. I mean, obviously, it's different too because America is still technically federalized. So, I mean, you know, local authorities do have much more power than they do here. Um, 
but I think as far as you know, sort of um, blooding the nose of the establishment, I think local is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the my greatest hope of change was was of course Brexit. Uh, what do you think this vote will? What are the implications for for Brexit in the long run? It's it's tough to say because I think as sort of like a hot button issue, Brexit's kind of like run its course almost. Like well, it's, this, this is what worries me a bit because a lot of people have forgotten that in the deal itself, there's going to be a sort of review in 2024, uh, which gave us the freedom, uh, well, still gives us the freedom either to go further away from Europe with more sort of a harder Brexit or possibly to realign ourselves further uh, inside the EU. Hmm. Um, so it, the, the question's not finished yet. It seems to be. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not. Finished. But I think. I think. Forgotten. I think. Given the narrative when it first happened of sort of you know an us against them, sort of people uh, taking control of their country away from you know <clears throat> a political class who sort of held them in contempt. I think that's kind of that flame's kind of gone because Brexit was co-opted. You know. Um, the you know the, the sort of the 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 this political Caesar who you know was supposed to ride it on horseback and and drag Britain kicking and screaming back into its sort of you know heyday um, is someone who now is you know is is more aligned to you know the G eight and the WHO and those sort of things rather yeah, than yeah. you know sort of Britain as being like, a, like an island nation a proud island nation um, I think again it's 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 really tough to say because um i i i'm most of my predictions about, about politics seldom come true um i i only have observations rather than predictions but my opposition on brexit nowadays is that it's just been co-opted by you know by by the political machine to the point where now it's what was meant to be um you know limited immigration and um no, no more vassalage to uh, to um, supranational bodies has become, you know, just swapping them out. Oh yeah. You know, um, I I I really recoil in horror at the term global Britain because, you know, it's just being in the EU on steroids, right? Uh, being in the EU to to, to further flung lands, um, and with the exception of maybe Kansas, I I I, I would much prefer a sort of um, a period of isolationism while we just sort of you know recalibrate our politics. Um, I don't, I'm, again, but with that, I'm not optimistic because social media is you know it's 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 a borderless world um, completely mm. to the point now where I think younger generations in this country, maybe the generation sort of beneath us and then beneath them, are at this point just Americans who speak with a British accent. Um, I, was, I was listening to an interesting podcast which was talking about the new divide uh, and actually for example so he was a Spanish from Madrid and he said I've got more in common with someone from uh, Tokyo uh, for example because they both live in a big city yeah uh, quite uh, isolated they listen to the same music wear the same clothes uh dine in the same fast food restaurants like McDonald's and that. Yeah, I mean um, and if you if you stand in any of these metropoles and look up at the skyline, you could be anywhere. 
Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 there's no national character in these places, and that's yeah. that's the the incubator of the political and cultural and economic establishment. They come from that world where they're just at home in London, as they are in Shanghai, as they are in Paris, as they are in New York. Um, there's no, there's there's really no loyalty. Um, so it, so so again, you know, um, it's almost like uh, c- compare it to I don't know, say being in a relationship that isn't quite working out, right? And instead of leaving the relationship and sort of you know working yourself and, and improving, you end and jump straight into a, a new one with the same dynamic going on. You know, um, you're just swapping out one form of turning this country from a nation into a province. Um, you just you're just changing you know the sort of the, the the direction in which it feeds upwards um so the only hope i have for brexit is either someone in the tory party which i'm not hopeful about either or a third party but again first past the post um reclaiming it as a a a return to the island mentality that has defined britain for its entire history well certainly a, a nice dream we can all sleep on but uh no, i i think uh yeah I, I don't know i i'm a lot i'm very pessimistic at times but like the weekend with the jubilee sometimes i think that there is this country hasn't said its final word yeah yet. yeah that that spirit is still there and one thing me and michael talk about all the time is the the, the idea of sort of um understanding that the world may never again be calibrated the way you want it to be but you can still be happy mm. you know you can still you know like they can never take what's in your head and you know as long as you know you have that mindset you know britain lives on um whatever happens to its physical body you know its soul lives on in the people who you know are, are proud to, to call it home and i think on on that note that beautiful note we'll we'll end there Thanks uh, very much. Um, uh, sorry, uh, I had a mind blank. Uh, <laughs> there was something I, was, I wanted to say. I forgot on now. Uh, you, you can cut this out anyway. But uh, yeah, but thanks, uh, Wicket, for uh, for coming on and sharing your uh, wonderful welcome. idea. <laughs> Brilliant. Cheers. So. Coming up uh, after this, we've got the two by-elections, of course, so we'll be having a little uh, episode on that. And uh, also, I'm trying to do an episode on the French legislative elections and whether Emmanuel Macron will be getting his majority or not. So uh, stay tuned. Thanks for listening and uh, see you all very soon. Thanks very much.